the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Welcome to Matthew 28. You remember when Jesus told Peter, he said, follow me, Peter, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That was a big statement. It sounded strange probably to him, but not, maybe not so much because he was a fisher and he was used to fishing. But I think Jesus was saying, Peter, you, you're doing something, but let me show you how to do something better. You're fishing for fish. You're fishing for the temporary things of this life, but let me show you how to fish for something more eternal. We're going to talk about a lot of things that Jesus told us today. And at the end, I think you're gonna, it's going to kind of paint a picture for you. Well, anyway, when he told Peter, I'll make you fishers of men, it sounds like an adventure, doesn't it? Come follow me. And isn't that what you felt like when you asked Jesus in your heart, this is going to be an adventure? Hallelujah. You should have been. You should have been excited about it. Come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. <laughs> Sound like an adventure. I remember when I was 14 years old and... I hadn't had a job yet, you know, and my mom looked at me. She said, boy, we're going to get you some work experience. Mom was working at President's Island in Memphis at the time, and she had met some guy that owned an island out there off the river. He was kind of rich guy, had an airport, and he had his own tugboat business and everything. And, and she had talked to him, and she tried to get him to agree to put me to work one day. Sounded like an adventure. So we got there early in the morning. And uh, he was on the tugboat, and I was going to be, it was like Huckleberry Finn, you know. I'm thinking, I read that book. This is going to be awesome. We're going on the river. It's going to be adventure. So I stepped on that tugboat, and we took off across the river, and I, wind was in my hair, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. I'm, I'm going to be a grown man. i got a job. This is what life is all about. Well, he went right across that river to this barge that was tied up on the other side, and he said, get off. And so I got off onto that barge, and it was kind of, Spooky looking all rusty and stuff up against parked up against the bank and he opened a hatch on it He said get down in there and I said whoa That's a little bit more of adventure than I was looking for Because <laughs> I couldn't see anything. It was just dark down in there He let down this ladder thing and I got down in there and I'm telling you this was summertime It was early in the morning at this time, but it was still about 115 degrees in there And the only light once I got in there was the light coming from that hatch and he gave me a push broom and said, start pushing the stuff off the walls because they had sucked all the grain and stuff out, but there were still husk and stuff all on the, the walls. And so that whole morning, I'm push brooming inside this 140-degree adventure. You know, <laughs> I didn't see that in the Huckleberry Finn book, but I was so happy when lunchtime finally came because we went from one barge to the next. Finally, he said, we're going to go over to my island for a minute. And I'm like, yes. And I was thinking, you know, in my mind, I'm pitching Gilligan's Island or something. You know, this is going to be awesome. Well, there wasn't nothing on that island but a, a bunch of pigs. And he wanted me to slop them. And so for lunch, I get to slop the pigs. And then we get back on the riverboat and go hit some more barges. 
He didn't call my mama to come get me to a ride at dark. And I was probably the most tired that I've ever been in my life. And I had a lot of energy back at 14 now. And my mama finally pulled up on the bank, and we was on the tugboat, and I, could, I couldn't wait to, to jump off that tugboat and go back to mama. And then I got to mama, and I was scared of that guy kind of, so I said, Mama, is he going to pay me anything? And I was suspecting at least I'm going to get some lot of money for all this work I done put in. And she said, hey, whatever his name was, is he going to get any pay? He goes, oh, yeah, tell him to come over here. And he pulled out his wallet, and I knew this rich man had a big wad in there. He pulled out a $5 bill and gave it to me. He said, thanks for your help, son. Hope you learned something today. And I said, I sure did. <laughs> and I didn't say it to him now. I was scared of him. But once I got in the car, I looked at Mom and I said, that's it? Isn't that how you feel sometimes? That's all there is. That's it? For all the labor you've put into something? I also remember when I was little, we used to save those box tops. And you could send them in and get a special prize. And man, they made that prize sound awesome. So I would eat cereal till my belly was out to here. You know, I'd drink a whole gallon of milk like, what's the guy on uh, Beverly Hillbillies? I was like Jethro eating that cereal, trying to get, get, make Mama buy some more so I could get enough box tops together. Then I mailed them off, and, and I was going to get this invisible pen. Y'all remember those? <laughs> and when, I, when, the, when the package came in, the first indication that it wasn't invisible was when I held it in my hand, I saw it right there. <laughs> I'm like, this thing ain't invisible at all. And worse than that, it wouldn't even write. I mean, you'd write and it wouldn't have, you couldn't see nothing. What in the name of corn on the cob is going on around here? I said, that's it? <laughs> I bet a lot of you, when you was growing up, you said, if, if I get a certain kind of car, if I get the right kind of job, if I marry the right woman or right man, if I get a big house, my life is going to be full. And a lot of you have probably been through all that. You've probably had the car. You used to have the white. No, just <laughs> you got the, you still got some of it left. You know, you've been through and you've probably been through two or three of some of them. <laughs> but you're still like, that's it. Some of you come to church, and like I said, you, were expect, you should have been expecting for Christianity, for your, your newfound salvation, your eternal perspective of relationship with Jesus. You're thinking, at church, man, that's going to be it. And you're thinking, that's it? And some of you are thinking more like, no, that's it. And they do it every day. I see them. They say, that's it. I'm out of here. It ain't what I expected. Well, I've got news for you today. It's good news. The good news is still the good news. The Word of God is still true. Jesus is still Lord of Lords. He's still on the throne. He's still fulfilling hearts today. And the church is still what He's doing. So where's the disconnect? Why are we shouting hallelujah but not living it Monday through Saturday? Where's the disconnect? I can tell you this much. It's got to be on our end. 
I think maybe some of us are just a few box tops short of a special prize. It's, it's got to be in our understanding. Am I telling the truth? So I ask, I ask, what's the problem? But I say, no, what is the solution? We've been talking about what are we here to do? I've been teasing y'all for many weeks now that we're going to put up a new banner like our other ones that answer questions for us. What are we here to do? And I think if we figure out what we're supposed to do, we'll figure out the fulfillment part. We'll find our place. We're not fulfilled because we're not where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. So without further ado, let's reveal what we need to do. You ready? You're thinking he ain't going to tell us again. I know he's just. <laughs> he's not going to tell us. It's too early in the service. He's going to make me wait till the end or something. And most of you know already anyway. I mean, I've been talking about it for some time now. You already know, but you're just waiting on me to say it. <laughs> or let me say it like this. Coke makes cola. Chevy makes cars. Ford makes clunkers. That joke just made a lot of enemies. <laughs> what? The Passion Church makes disciples. Thank you. The Passion Church makes disciples. It's what we do. You knew that. But did we know that as Kirsty said? You, how'd you say it? You know it, but you don't believe it. It's in our mind. We got head knowledge, but it's not the driving factor in our heart. And therefore, our heart is still down there saying, give me more, give me more, because this other stuff ain't working. I don't know if y'all going to believe me about this, but turn to Matthew 28, 18. If your creator says this is the great command, uh, commission, this is what you're supposed to do, maybe that's the secret of what you're supposed to do. I don't know. <laughs> Just the thought. Matthew 28, 18. I love you guys. We have so much fun. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. And see, that's why we're supposed to listen to what he says. Therefore, go. Say go. go. And make disciples. There it is. Of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teach. Say teach. teach. These new disciples. To obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's going to be with us. So he says what? Go and teach. And in that process, you make disciples. 
Now, what is a disciple? That would be interesting to know since that's what we're supposed to be doing. The Greek word for disciple, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's M-A-T-H-E-T-E-U-O, Matheteo, something like that. It means not only to learn of Jesus, but to become attached to him, a follower of his doctrine and conduct of life. It's more than just a head knowledge. It is a personal, deep personal relationship. And that's what it means to, and, and to follow him. He was serious about that? Oh, yeah. Come follow me. Do what I do. Say what I say. So our role in the Great Commission, comm uh, commission I get them confused, the Great Commission isn't just to get people to say a prayer. That's the starting point. It's sort of like church is, is just a launching pad. It's the starting point to get them to say a prayer, to even to get them baptized. That's good. That's two important steps that we got to do. But it doesn't end there. It's also teaching them to obey every one of Jesus' commands. So to go and make disciples, it's not just a, a one-time thing, a, a, a get it done and I'm out of here. It's a lifelong process. Another thing Jesus said, since we're talking about things Jesus said, he said to the rich young ruler, I love what came out last Sunday. It just came to me at that moment that, about how if being rich and having things of this life was so fulfilling, why was the rich young ruler still looking for more? Why did he come to Jesus? You know, why was he asking Jesus how to find eternal life if he already had everything, all the riches? The riches weren't satisfied. But Jesus told him, you're focused on the stuff. Come follow me. How should this affect how we do church? How should an understanding of what we do affect how we do church? Shouldn't every program, shouldn't every department in the church be wrapped around of how we're going to make disciples? How do, how do you conduct your life? I mean, this is, says go into all the world. He said, I will be with you as an individual and use guys too. It's actually plural in the Greek. So it does denote a sense of community in the going. But also, as individuals, we're to be making disciples. If you want to be fulfilled in your life, because that's what you were created to do. To go and teach. How does that affect your everyday life? Could you do that? Well, I'm not going around telling people about Jesus all day. I'll look like a nut. Well, you'll be screwed onto the right boat. <laughs> if you're gonna be a nut, but you ain't, ain't you ain't got to know a hundred scriptures. Could you just have an attitude of when you go to work or you're in the line at the grocery store or wherever you're at, thinking, "How can I shine for Jesus in some kind of way? How can I do something?" 
that's going to help somebody. Discipleship should be our clear focus, the major objective in everything we do. You begin to see it as your purpose in this life. And you, 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 you start off, you know, a little hesitant, and I don't want to say nothing or whatever, and you, and you got this fear, this wall this, that's keeping you from doing it, but you break through a couple times, and you just, maybe it just starts with a smile. Some, how about a smile on your face when you go to the grocery store? How about you let your light shine whatever way, whatever step you need to take to break through that wall? Just getting your focus on other people is a huge step. What'd she say? It's more blessed to give than receive? This is what we're talking about. For you to live a blessed life. And so getting your focus on other people. It needs to be our clear focus, a major objective in everything we do. And to make up for what I said about Ford, <laughs> Henry Ford said, a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. He says that scatters effort and destroys direction. And that's the devil's main weapon, is to just get us busy and scattered. Busy is an acronym for being under Satan's yoke. Just pulled in every direction, and we think we got to say yes to everything. And we say yes to everything, but we say no to the most important thing that's going to fulfill you. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says something else. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. All you that have been pulled in a thousand directions. All you that are scattered, your brain's all over the place. Your schedule looks like, my goodness, how, do you get, how am I going to make it through the end of the week? Those of you who are living for the weekend, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you what you're looking for. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So in Matthew 28, we read a while ago, it says for us to go and teach. But here in Matthew 11, it says, come and learn. Those are two different sides of the same coin. To go and teach and to come and learn. But do you want rest for your souls? Do you want fulfillment? Then you need to be doing both of those simultaneously at all times. You need to be coming and learning of him here at church. You need to have someone discipling you. You need to get under somebody uh, that's a little more mature than you and begin to study their life and learn how to live a God-pleasing, God-fearing life. And at the same time, passing that information down. Go and teach and come and learn. You should always be doing both. Ephesians 4.16 says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If we were all going and teaching and coming and learning together, 
Man, we would have the most healthy body, the most healthy church. It would be a, a city on a hill. That's God's desire. See, making disciples is not just going to some foreign country. He says, start where you're at. Expand from there. Yeah, we give into missions. Some of you may go to the mission field. But look around. The fields are white to harvest everywhere you look. Africa is sending missionaries to the United States now. We, we had a president said we're no longer a Christian nation. That should be a wake-up call. So what does the Passion Church do towards these efforts? I'm glad you asked. Because I want to brag on us for a minute. Everybody kind of knows that a church makes disciples or whatever. So these things, these were in place, many of them long before I became pastor. We've had good men of God teaching us how to make disciples for years. But I just think finishing that next banner and putting it on the wall, writing the vision and making it plain is going to help us put the puzzle together in our mind to give us a clearer understanding of why the things are like they are. And then when we make future decisions about do we start this program, do we end this program, do we go here, or do we go there, or do we stay and not go at all, and we don't spread ourselves too thin as a church as well, we stay on target. We understand that everything has to be funneled through the idea of is it making disciples because that's what we do. I'm not getting any amens. Okay, a few things. Our Sunday service is a gathering place. It's where we learn. We come and we learn. Same thing with our Next Level Wednesday. If, if you guys don't come on Next Level Wednesday, you need to start because we go pretty deep here on Sundays. But on Wednesdays, we go deeper, and we take it to the next level. If you've been on a, a Next Level Wednesday and you, you couldn't live without it, say amen. amen. I will say we've had up to 40 or 50 people come on a Wednesday night. So that's over half of what comes on a Sunday. So if you haven't come on a Wednesday night, hello. You can't just get a snack on Sunday and think you're going to have the strength to go all week. And then we have passion prayer. Oh, my goodness. You really want to go deep into things of God. Come on a Tuesday night. And all these are punctuated by an overwhelming desire for you guys to fellowship. I mean, you guys are meeting, greeting before the service. We had my office completely filled up at 10 o'clock this morning. We almost had to bust out of there. We had to open the door because we sucked all the air out of there. So many people in there breathing. First 10 o'clock prayer before the service. Because people get here early. They're so excited about God. They're so excited about fellowship. And then during the service, Mary's up here. Hello, is this thing on? You know, during the meet and greet, the band says, you know, hug a neck. And y'all take that serious, man. I mean, y'all are out there. She's like... Cut this louder, you know. Can't get your attention to stop. Then after the service, you know, we have to, we have to pe send people to work shifts to see who's going to stay until the last person leaves because y'all are here like 4 and 5 in the afternoon over here with prayer groups and, and counseling and loving on each other. And, I, and you know what? 
I'm just exaggerating, but if that happened, I would gladly do it. That's my, that makes me happier as a pastor, and I don't know of anything that makes me that happy. To see fellowship and people loving on one another, that's what it's all about. A church that would run you out and cut the lights off and say, you got to go. We, we do that occasionally? Okay. Eventually. You know, around 2 o'clock, you know. We just say, keep it going, but do it in the parking lot. Then we got our men's and women's groups. And that's another thing. If you're not a part of our men's and women's groups, they were designed. They were, we recently put those together, and they are for the express desire of creating fellowship and uh, discipleship among one another. I mean, that is what it's all about. We have, we have team leaders. Uh, uh, every 10 guys has a team leader. Every 10 women have a team leader, and they meet you know, together, and they call each other, make sure nobody falls through the cracks. If somebody's sick, they're supposed to be calling you and, and praying for you. You call your leader. You develop relationships within the group, and then every other month you meet together as a whole. All that is designed for discipleship to take place. And if you aren't involved in our men's and women's groups, you really don't know us well enough because that's where a lot of the fun goes on. We go to uh, the jail ministry. You'd probably say, well, mostly that's evangelism. That's just the, the go and, and get them saved part. Can't even baptize them. But, but they do occasionally bring the same pod. For over a year now, they've been bringing the same pod of men into my services on Sunday night. And they're all saved. So basically, I'm pastoring them in the jail. So that's discipleship. It even goes on in the jails. In the nursing homes, most of those people are already saved. They just need a friend. They need somebody to come fellowship with them and love on them. Okay, so that's a, a form of discipleship. Youth villages, we go and minister to the kids. What about what the Kingdom Kids is, department is doing this Friday coming up? They are having a movie night. What that means for you parents is you drop those little ones off and you get three hours off. They are watching your kids for three hours. The kids are going to have pizza and a movie here and they're, they're going to love on your kids just so that you can go and have a date night or go to the movie or whatever you want to do. And you know what? They're not getting paid for that. That is, that is their heart. That was their idea to bless you like that because they understand it's more blessed to give than receive. They have lock-ins for the kids throughout the year to spend time with them, to give you time off. Uh, this philosophy of People first. This philosophy of relationships are the most important thing, even over getting the job done, is in every department. We try to do everything with excellence, but when it comes down to whether, you know, did you sign off on that last sheet, or, or did you pray for them because they was crying and had an issue going on at home, well, you just go on and pray for them. You know, the people are, are more important than the protocol, so to speak. Uh, Bill McCall, Nicholas Cage, I'm sorry, Nicholas Mitchell. <laughs> He's staring me down. Uh, Angie and all those who work with the youth, they, you know, Bill is having Friday night movie nights like once a month back there for teenagers so they can hang out. 
He opened, they open up early, play games and stuff. Just, why do we open up early? Why don't it just, let's get straight to the Word? Because most of the discipleship takes place in their interaction of the relationships. The Word is just the cherry on the top. It's all important. They're all needed. Uh, they recently took them to Winter Jam. So every fellowship, every ice cream social, every fall festival, every church in the park that we have, every outreach that we call our passion for DeSoto, all those new membership ceremonies like we had, baptisms, communion together, a wedding today, hopefully. <laughs> every connection point that, that iron can sharpen iron. That's why we do it. So that disciples can be made. We're not here to play religion. We're not here to show how super spiritual we are. We're here to do life together and mold each other into disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. And if we have to get untraditional to do it, we will do it. As you know, our banner says we're genuine. We're not going to change the Word of God. We're not, we're not going to slide off into some false teaching. You, you let me know if you hear me teaching something ain't right. But we're passionate and we try to be relevant and meet people where they are so that they can become true followers of Jesus Christ. Another thing Jesus told people, he told the Pharisees, you focus on religion. You focus on the outside of the cup, but you're like whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones. See, we're not here to look good on the outside. He said, you strain out a net, but you swallow a camel. He was getting on him, wasn't he? He said, cleanse the inside of the cup first. And that's what we want to do. You know, when I was a new believer, when I heard the Great Commission, I saw that word go, and I heard a sermon talked about, you know, you could sum it up in the word go, and it's tempting to want to sum it up in the word go. It makes sense, you know. It does notate movement on our part. A need to get outside of ourselves. But making disciples is more than just going to some far off place. It's in every word of spiritual encouragement you give every day. In your everyday life, just hovering around wherever you're at. It's taking every opportunity to build godly character in another. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. See, that's why those other things never satisfied your soul. The houses and the cars and such. Because deep down inside of you, you knew they were just temporary. No matter how much you can build here on this earth, when you die, it's over with. No matter how many fish you can catch. But when you make disciples, you're doing something eternal. Because the heart of man is eternal. A, man, a man's soul is eternal. And so to get eternal rewards, we have to focus on eternal things and not focus on the temporary and the here and now 
in this little short life we get in the scope of eternity. We got to be big picture people. He said, go and produce lasting fruit so that your father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Are your prayers not getting answered? Maybe your focus isn't the same as Jesus's. He said, this command, this is my command that you love each other. That's it. That you love each other. But our flesh cries out, please me, please me, please me. But don't you hear the voice of your spirit crying out, no, please God, please God, please God. And there's a war going on. <laughs> obey your eternal spirit. Don't obey your temporary flesh. Your, your temporary flesh is like a pig in the mud. It's not happy unless it's wallowing in something it shouldn't. That's your flesh. But your spirit is like this eagle that ain't happy unless it's soaring over mountains of defeat. Soaring into the glory on wings as eagles. Somebody says, what? nobody else is doing it. Nobody else, I don't see nobody else doing it. <laughs> you know what Jesus told John? John was talking with Jesus and walking with Jesus, and John looked back. He said, what about him? And Jesus says, if he lives forever, what's that got to do with you? You come follow me. It don't matter what anybody else is doing. Jesus didn't call any of you and say, well, you go if your friend goes. Somebody's got to lead this parade. And I'm going to say something a little bit hard. But if you're not interested in church, if it's not high on your list of priorities, and this making disciples thing, I, you're waiting for this series to get over so I can get back to 10 ways to help my finances or my marriage or something. And if this doesn't excite your blood as a Christian, then you're not a disciple yourself. Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I'm not sure how it works. You may be a Christian. You may go to heaven and get there like, you know, one of those that may, barely made it by fire, you know. I don't know how that works. But I know that if you're not making disciples, then you're not a disciple. You're not taking up your cross and doing what he said do. So I would take some consideration to what we're saying here. I'm not, I'm not just saying that it would fulfill you as a person and is the missing piece of your puzzle of why you're, you're thinking this life isn't all you thought it was live, supposed to live up to. But I'm saying it's a command from the Lord. And it has eternal rewards or eternal consequences. Jesus was 24-7 making disciples. He preached to the big crowds, oh yeah. But I think he put most of his energy into the 12. For three years, day and night, he taught a ministry, how to heal, how to deliver, how to believe for miracles, how to preach, how to argue the faith, follow scripture, how to meet people. How to get down on the level where they're at. How to not 
categorize, how to love them, how to suffer, how to forgive. But he was also in the mundane, everyday task. I can, I can almost picture Jesus saying, Peter, did you bring your toothbrush or what, fella? You know, back off. He's teaching them everyday hygiene. You know, they're walking together on this road. He helped Peter do his taxes, for, for goodness sakes. He helped Thomas with his doubt issue. Sat down with him and said, let's talk this over, Thomas. Why are you doubting? Here, put your hand over here. Let me show you something. See, that's all discipleship. When's the last time any of you adults who know how to do taxes have offered to help any young people do their taxes? Well, that's not spiritual. That's carnal. When's the last time you sat down with somebody who's doubting their faith and had a conversation with them about why they should trust in the Lord? Shared part of your testimony, how, what God has done for you. See, these are practical things, but they're, they're just as spiritual as teaching them how to get up here and give a three-point sermon or whatever. Taught him how to arrange a meal, you know, for the Last Supper. Taught him how to get, you know, a, book a hotel. You know, he's, he's teaching them practical stuff. How to tell a good story. How to figure out a parable. How to think for yourself. How to show humility. How to mourn. How to have peace in the storm. How to have joy through it all. Somebody's saying, well, I don't know how to do much. I don't know much about the Bible. Well, Shame on you. But even so, you say, well, I've done everything wrong in my life. I can't teach anybody anything. Well, I like what Paul Stanley from KISS. No, what's the other? Andy Stanley from Your Move. He says, because you have learned what not to do, you can share that with other people. Every mistake you have is an opportunity for you to share that with somebody so they won't make that mistake. You do have a wealth of knowledge. Start where you're at. Nobody in here is too immature to bring somebody along that is somebody isn't younger in the faith and less immature than you that you grab them along and say, I don't know much, but I'll show you what I know. You can do it. Jesus told them how to restore someone after they've abandoned you. Because they all abandoned him. In Romans 8.29, in the message translation, it says, God knew what he was doing from the beginning. <laughs> well, yeah. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. He decided from the beginning that we should be like Jesus. The, the son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you helping others? When our church understands the intended shape of our lives, and we practice this relational discipleship, you understand Discipleship takes place in relations. We call it relational discipleship. When we practice that, 
we will develop such an inreach in the church that we won't have to worry about an outreach. That'll be a natural outgrowth. And the outreach will be so much more successful because they see something that they desire on the inside. They're like, I want to be a part of that. I heard about a church like that in the book of Acts, but I ain't seen one. People who love each other, share with one another, do life together, break bread together, not just on Sundays or special holidays, not just when the church uh, organizes it, but on their own like our men's and women's groups are doing. Excited about doing life together. Let me just tell you as I close. I don't know what your expectations of this life were. We all had them, okay? But I can tell you, if you put all your trust in what this world has to provide, the day or two after you're dead, in some obscure newspaper, which they don't even make many newspapers anymore, the newspaper business is about dead, but they're still making some newspapers. And if you go somewhere way in the back to this unread section called the obituaries, you're going to have about two or three lines that says where you was born, where you died, and what time, and what hospital you died in. And if that's what you're, if you're putting all your hope in the world, that's about what the world is going to offer you, two or three lines of ink that ain't nobody probably going to read. And that's only if somebody loved you enough to put your name in there. What is that compared to all the eternal rewards of heaven? Where is our focus? And we wonder why we're unfulfilled. We got our eyes on the wrong thing. We spent our life like Huckleberry Finn. We spent our $5 on more box tops. We're looking for an adventure, and that deep, dark cavern down there ain't much of an adventure. It's hot down there, and it doesn't promise what Jesus promised. Jesus' promise is true life, abundant life, treasures in heaven that thieves can't break through and steal. Jesus has been trying to tell us this stuff all along. You look in the Word of God, all throughout the Gospels, everything Jesus said was pointing to an abundant life, how to have true life. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It's found in me. It's found in being molded into my image. That's where life is. He told the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. Amen. He told Timothy, to tell you this, in 1 Timothy 6.18, he says, command them to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and like Kirsty said, willing to share. In this way, they lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. How many wants to take hold of the life that is truly life? You're on the right path. You're hearing the right teaching. God called you for such a time as this. 
The world don't tell you this part. The world says, get it all for yourself. Save it all for yourself. Spend it all on yourself. Just do it if it feels good. The world tells you everything against this. But you are here on a Sunday morning because there's something in your heart saying there's something more. There's something more. Now, if you've ever asked Jesus to come into your life, maybe you... This, maybe this is the first time you're here. You're saying, how can I trust anybody? Man, it I don't see anybody to trust in this world. I only know of one person that was willing to die for me. Not only die for me in my place, but, but to take all my sins. All of them. Everything I have done and everything that I will do. And pay the penalty for that. Because see, sin had to be paid for. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God is a just God and He can't just let it go. And so instead of putting it on all of us, He sent a sacrifice and it happened to be His Son, His own Son. To die on our cross and to take our Sin upon himself become the sin of all mankind so that the wrath of God would have a... a place to focus and be dispersed into he who became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a person like that, I believe you can trust him out. If he gave us his son, won't he give us everything else that we need that pertains to life and godliness? He has proven his love. He has proven that he's all in for you. And he wants to make an exchange. The more you give him, the more he gives you. The more you give yourself away, the, the more he says, good, self has no place in you. Let me fill you with me. Let me fill you with love. That first step is to come and learn of me. It's to make Jesus the Lord of your life. A man must be born again. You have to receive your pardon. You have to receive your salvation. Because he won't force it on you. He's saying, just come unto me. Give me your life in exchange for eternal life. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.